Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome to the Bullshit Filter, episode 19, where we're going to be talking about the joys of sarin gas. <laughs> no. Now, I have a feeling sarin gas is right up there with rape. No, yeah, you can't joke. It's off. It's off. Yeah, I, out of bounds. Well, not completely off limits. Just, just do it with tact and grace, like you normally do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Syria is one of seven countries that, uh, until recently, had not joined the 1997 convention banning chemical weapons. Now, for a start, it might shock you to realize that there wasn't a convention banning chemical weapons until, <laughs> until. 1997. Uh, what else was happening in 1997? Uh, I was um, getting out of my first marriage. Um, uh, what else was going on? What? what <laughs> yeah. Well, the top. Were we worried about the the um, the, the turn of the? century or we not we probably weren't worried about that oh no we weren't worrying about that yet um you know the most popular films of 1997 titanic um goodwill hunting uh men in black the original men in black la confidential jackie brown one of my favorites gattaca starship troopers which is looking more and more prescient as the trump administration takes over um uh the fifth element uh, Con Conair, <laughs> um, Donnie Brasco, um, Gross Point Blank, Copland, Alien Resurrection, Lost Highway by David Lynch. All of these things came out. Uh, Pierce Brosnan was still James Bond doing Tomorrow Never wow. Dies. Um, wow. Austin Powers came out in 1997, and there was still no chemical weapons ban on the earth. Um, now... Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say when they, when they did come up, when it finally does become a force or whatever, obviously they're outlawing the production, stockpiling, and use of chemical weapons and their precursors. But as you said, Syria, along with several other countries, did not sign that agreement. And what was Syria's justification for that, Ray? Um, from what I, the best I could come up with um, was the Assad saying that in case we're attacked by foreigners, we have to have this as a defensive mechanism because. You can come at us from almost any direction. That was the only thing I could find. <laughs> could anyone use that example? Well, we might get yeah. attacked. No, we need no, gas. just because of the way they're ge- geographically <clears throat> placed. Is that what I'm trying to say? <clears throat> I read specifically that he referred to Israel and Israel's nuclear arsenal. Oh, it's it's estimated that, nu- that Israel has 200 nuclear weapons. And... Um, Chemical weapons are seen as a poor man's nuclear weapon. So he was like, well, you don't have nukes, so we've got to have <laughs> it's the something. Best I got. Yeah. We've got to have something if we get attacked by Israel. I got brass knuckles. I got a knife. Um, I got some chemical weapons. I have to hold on to everything I've got. Now, Syria had huge stockpiles of mustard gas and sarin 
gas. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward in our timeline to March 19, 2013. Mm-hmm. There's a gas attack in the town of Khan al-Assal in northern Syria. 26 fatalities, including 16 soldiers, government soldiers, and 10 civilians, and more than 86 injuries. Mm. So I think that's the first thing to note here with this gas attack, is it's killing soldiers and civilians. Right. Now, immediately after the incident, the Syrian government and the opposition accused each other of carrying out the attack. Neither side could provide any clear evidence. You have to think that if the government was responsible for it, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be allowing your own soldiers to be killed by the gas attack. Right. Right. Why would you yeah. Why would you yeah. launch a gas attack and not say to all of your soldiers, hey, look, uh, put on a gas mask. Uh, we're about to drop some gas. Well, if you want to rally the troops, if you want to make it look like you're being struck by someone who's playing outside the rules, if you will, um, that's certainly one way of doing it. And losing 16 soldiers is bad, but it's not insurmountable but now you've got a you've got a rallying cry for the rest of your country to support you and that's obviously me being very cynical but we've seen we've seen worse yeah i guess that's possible uh although i i think they had enough of a rallying cry in that you know people are trying to take over our country um but maybe maybe but it just seems to but, me like that that's relatively implausible that you would kill your own right. soldiers with a gas attack. Well, with all the defections that are going on, you would think that somebody would have grabbed some going out the door. So if it was literally the, the rebels using it, I mean, it's certainly plausible that they had some as because there were so many defections, especially with the officers and the people in the right positions. See, to me, that's a more plausible argument yeah. that... Yeah. Some of the defecting soldiers who joined the Free Syrian Army got hold of sarin gas out of the Syrian stockpiles. For them, killing the government soldiers makes sense because they're the enemy at this point. Uh, And also killing civilians is okay too because if you blame it on the Syrian government, then you're trying to rally international condemnation and possibly NATO involvement in taking down Bashar al-Assad. So the Syrian government actually, Bashar... Bashar's government asked the United Nations to investigate the incident, mm-hmm. which makes it look like they weren't involved. You know, you don't you don't use sarin gas and then say to the United Nations, "Hey, come and investigate the use of sarin gas," unless you're confident that you can get away with it or you can point the finger at someone else. Right. But on the yeah. surface again, of it, that yeah. doesn't seem like something you would do if you were guilty. Right. And again, we'll never know. And of course, the Russians jumped in. The foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said the accusations of Damascus, D- Damascus, Damascus using chemical weapons put forth by the USA are not backed by credible facts. Uh, Lev- Lavrov further stated that the Syrian government had no motive to use chemicals weapons since the government already maintained a military advantage over the rebel fighters. So again, no matter what happens, good or bad, the, the uh, Russians are right there with their allies. Um, for for obvious reasons, is that is that quote from the Khan Al Assal attack or from the Gouda attack that happened later? Um, I thought it was from the uh, the Khan Al Assal. It might be because I, I didn't. 
I, I didn't get any information. Oh, no, right. Yeah, no, it's 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 from that one. Which one? The Khal Al-Asal. God, I, these names. Fuck, right? Just Khan read it. Al-Asal. It's just written in front of you. Khan Al-Asal. Come on, man. Yeah. How hard is it? I know it's hour three and it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's past <laughs> your bedtime, but come on, man. And I worked all day long. Oh, didums. You yeah. know, last night I came down with a fever and <laughs> I was coming down with a cold and I said, fuck that, I can't be sick for Ray and I snapped out of it. I was better by the time right. I woke up. So if I can overcome certain right. cold death, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, um, yeah, they started blaming each other. Um, the Russians obviously defending the Syrian government, but we would expect that. Now... Um, the Syrian government asked the UN to investigate it, but there were disputes over the scope of the investigation, and mm-hmm. it led to ridiculous amounts of delays. Um, the UN wanted to investigate other alleged sarin attacks in Homs and Damascus, um, but the Syrian government wanted them to, no, just no, don't look at all yeah, of that kind of stuff. One. No, just this one. Just this particular one. The other ones, no, 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 no. Yeah, don't, don't worry about think that. So. Anyway, it ended up taking the UN five months to be able to Jeez. get investigators on the ground. But um, the Russians did send specialists to investigate uh, for what that's worth. They took samples mm-hmm. which led them to conclude that it was, in fact, sarin gas that was used. And... I want to talk about sarin gas a little bit because I didn't know a lot about it apart from the fact that it was pretty bad. Right. Um, so I dug into sort of the history and how it works a little bit. So if with your permission, I want to talk about that. Yes, please. Have you covered it at all in your World War Two show? Uh, no, no, just good old-fashioned bombs, bullets, shells, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, sarin gas was developed by German chemists at IG Farben, the large chemical plant in Germany in 1938, but they discovered it by accident. Mm. Uh, The chemist Gerhard Schrader, who was trying to invent new pesticides in order to end world hunger, because, you know, that's what I always associate with Nazi scientists, is attempts to end world hunger by developing pesticides. Uh, they, they, They were trying to create a new pesticide that targeted an insect's nervous system, ended up inventing sarin gas by mistake. Um, He and his uh, team came into contact with the liquid that they produced and um, they were incapacitated for nearly a month. Uh, Didn't die, so lucky, but um, yeah, knocked them for a six. Sarin gas is named for the... Uh, discoverers of it, Schrader, Ambrose, Ritter, and von der Linde. S mm-hmm. from Schrader, A from Ambrose, R from Ritter, and I-N from Lind. Um, Do you want your name attached to something like that? Just I'm, curious. I'm thinking not. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> i take my name right off that. Uh, I'm not sure that's really what I want to be go. remembered for. Uh, In mid-1939, the formula for the gas was passed to the German Army Weapons Office, who ordered it uh, mass-produced for wartime use. And they built pilot plants and high-production facilities, but they weren't really ready by the end of the war. 
There are yeah. estimates that they had produced somewhere between 500 kilograms and 10 tons, tons mm. of uh, sarin, but um, they never used them against Allied targets. They were apparently incorporated into artillery shells, but never used for some reason. Because okay. even Hitler was like, oh, sarin gas, that, <laughs> oh, that's horrible. We can't use that. That is crossing the line? <laughs> Now, the thing about sarin gas is it is colourless, it is odourless, and even a very small dose, if if you breathe it in or it gets on your skin, will kill you within 10 minutes. Damn. And the way it kills you is particularly nasty. Um, Now, it's not Joffrey uh, nasty, (laughs) but it's pretty close. Can we talk about episode seven of uh, the current season? Uh, sorry, episode. No. no, no, we we can't talk about any of it. You're not up to date with the current season. No, I'm trying to catch oh. up on Doctor Who. I'm certainly not up on Game of Thrones. No. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, ah, oh, shit. Okay. Well, people who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. The poison thing, you know, and, and the thing, and, and the one person says to the other person, you know, about the thing, and yeah. Anyway, um, sarin uh, attacks the nervous system, and it, mm-hmm. it, it goes after a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which basically works at neuromuscular junctions. So effectively what happens is sarin very quickly takes out this acetylcholine, which means your muscles stop working. You can't control your muscles. Um, So what happens is you get a runny nose initially, tightness Mm -hmm. in the chest, constriction of the pupils. Then you have difficulty breathing and you start vomiting and drooling and you fall over, you start twitching and jerking, you defecate, you urinate, and you right. basically die. You have no idea why this is happening because it's odorless and clear yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, odorless and colorless. Jeez. All of a sudden, you can't breathe and you fall over and you die in right. in extreme pain, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um. You become comatose and you suffocate. You basically die from asphyxiation. The symptoms are known in the medical profession as the killer bees, bronchorrhea and bronchospasm. You've probably come up against that in your work at a medical clinic, Ray. Uh, And also the uh, mnemonic sludge, salivation, lacrimation, urination, defecation, gastrointestinal distress, and emesis, also a.k.a. Damn. vomiting. Right. Um, so it's a particularly, it's, it's quick and it's nasty. Uh, it has a pretty short shelf life, though, several weeks to several months. So really? it's normally stored as two separate precursors, which have a much longer shelf life, not as volatile. And you mix them together in the bomb, which then produces the sarin. And to be clear to everybody, the uh, Chemical Weapons Convention, the CWC, obviously bans the precursors as well. So it's not like they were not breaking, not that they signed it, but not breaking the uh, 
the uh, I- ideal of the CWC when they had these two precursors. So again, yeah. they're still doing something they probably shouldn't be doing. Well, again, they didn't. But they sign- didn't sign it. They didn't yeah. sign it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now the CWC uh, met in 1993. Uh, the the production and stockpiling of sarin, along with other chemical weapons, was outlawed. Outlawed, sorry, in 1997. It was signed by 162 member countries. Went into effect in 1997 and called for the complete destruction of all stockpiles of chemical weapons by April 2007. Hmm. And did everyone hit that date, Ray? I'm guessing no. No, no, no one hit that date. It's like we were supposed to stop fucking climate change too. Right? Right. Like, yeah, we got other things yeah. to do. Yeah. It's administered by the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, which is an uh, intergovernmental organization based in The Hague in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Now, when the convention ended force, the worldwide stockpiles of sarin were 15,047 tons. Shit. Because you can never have too much sarin. That's what I've always said. Like, it's like nuclear weapons. You know, you just can't yeah. have too many weapons of mass destruction. Sure, we have the capability of wiping out all life on the planet, but uh, we want to have 100 times that capability because what if the first 99 don't work? You, you right. can't, you can't be too safe when it comes That's to right. wiping out all life on Earth. Ray, uh, this is Jeez. my policy. I'm sticking by it. Now, by April 2016, 192 states uh, had ended up signing the CWC. Israel has signed but not ratified. That's close. So Israel not only has nuclear weapons, they also haven't ratified the Chemical Weapons Convention. So, do they get a pass? Do no. they get a pass when your no. enemies are trying to wipe you off, wipe you out, wipe you off the face of the earth? Do they get a pass? No, they don't get a pass. Everyone uh, could use that excuse. Well, people want to kill us. That's why we have armies. I mean, that's 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 everyone could use that excuse. Israel doesn't get a special mention, as far as I'm concerned. Um, okay. Now. Uh, Three UN member states, Egypt, North Korea, and South Sudan, have neither signed nor accepted the treaty. Right. Egypt. Hmm. Funny one. Egypt. Hmm. Uh, the others you kind of expect. Now, in September 2013, Syria did sign the agreement, but that was after the Ghouta attack, and we'll explain that as we go forward. And they agreed to destroy all of their chemical weapons as of october 2016 about 93 percent of the world's stockpile of chemical weapons have been destroyed so they were all supposed to be destroyed by 2007 um well yeah i guess i I think that that was uh the 93 percent is the people that signed the acw i guess uh sorry the cwc um, so we haven't quite got there. Now, the United States has only destroyed 96% of its stockpile, according to the OPCW. Pentagon oh. recently said it won't achieve 100% until 2023. 
So they signed up to get it done by 2007. They're like, yeah, we've got a bit of slippage. Bit of slippage. Uh, yes. Don't know why there's slippage. Don't know <laughs> what's so hard about it. But uh, they're not alone. Russia hasn't destroyed all of theirs. Uh, in 2012, Russia had said it had only destroyed uh, 47% of their sarin stocks. They still had 53% left, all weaponized. Damn. So if they say they destroy 43 47. without proof, 47, chances are they really haven't destroyed 47. Oh, no, the OPCW that. sends inspectors out, I think, to verify this. So I think it is uh, monitored and verified. Uh, I don't think it's just based okay. on put your hand over your heart and promise reports. <laughs> now, uh, in 2011, the U.S. intelligence community estimated that North Korea had between 2,500 and 5,000 tons uh, of chemical weapons, including sarin. Shit. Um, and some of it might have been in Iraq still. The UN Security Council ordered the dismantling of Iraq's chemical weapons in 1991 after the first Gulf War. But uh, by 1998, inspectors had accounted for the destruction of 88,000 filled and unfilled chemical munitions, 690 metric tons of weaponized chemical agents, 4,000 tons of precursor chemicals and 980 pieces of production equipment. But then the inspectors left in 1998 and uh, there was still a lot more that they hadn't really uh, seen destroyed. In 2009, before Iraq joined the CWC, the OPCW reported that the United States military had destroyed almost 5,000 old chemical weapons in open-air detonations since they took over Iraq in 2004. But these weapons were probably produced before the 1991 Gulf War, and they were probably useless by then right. because either the bombs themselves were badly corroded or the gas you know, is so volatile that it had broken right. down. But um, when Iraq joined the CWC in 2009, it declared there were still two bunkers with filled and unfilled chemical weapons munitions, some precursors, as well as five former chemical weapons production facilities. The bunker entrances were sealed with one and a half metres of reinforced concrete in 1994. Um, but in 2014, ISIS took control of the site. Oh, uh, where all the chemical weapons were. So, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know ISIS has lost a lot of its territory in Iraq in recent months. I'm not sure if they still control it. But, um, by the way, the site where all these chemicals were is in the Mutana Governorate. Capital of Mutana is Samoa. Samoa is very close to the ancient Sumerian Babylonian city of Uruk. Mm. which is possibly the source of the name Iraq, Uruk, U-R-U-K. And I mention that because I'm currently reading the Epic of Gilgamesh. Have you ever read uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, Ray? Back in the late 80s for college something. Really? Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, for people that aren't familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh, it is considered the first great work of literature, probably composed uh, sometime in the 3rd millennia BCE. 
He is supposedly the king of Rook in this thing. He's a giant. He's a warrior. And um, he goes in search of the secret to immortality. Um, predates the Bible. It's the oldest extant uh, work mm-hmm. in, in human literature. Uh, great, great read. Really, really fun read. Um, and funnily enough, Gilgamesh is seen by scholars today as uh, probably a real historical figure. They found inscriptions that seem to confirm uh, his existence. So cool. he was probably a king who reigned somewhere between 2800 and 2500 BCE, they think. Anyway, getting back to gas in Iraq. So, yeah, the stocks at Mutana may or may not be uh, useless, depending on the precursors and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. However, in 2004, Iraqi insurgents donated, 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 yeah, they donated uh, gas. No, they detonated <laughs> a shell containing binary precursors for sarin near a U.S. convoy in Iraq. Um only had a small amount of sarin ended up coming out of it apparently the explosion failed to mix the precursors properly or the shell had degraded or something two american soldiers were treated with early symptoms of exposure to sarin but i want the, the history of the use of sarin in war is interesting so do you know when the first ever sarin gas attack was ray you said it was invented in 38 yes um, if I had to guess, it's a total guess. I uh, either North Africa or the Soviet Union, but I I don't know. I'm guessing it was in 1988. What uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the invention, the discovery of sarin gas? It was used by Saddam Hussein uh, against the Iranians during the Iran Iraq War. That psycho mustachioed fucker. What did he do? Shoot it up in the air and go, wee! He uh, used it uh, in, uh, against the Kurdish town of Halabaya, uh, about a dozen miles from the Iranian border. The Iraqi aircraft flew over and dropped uh, sarin gas bombs on the town, killed over 5,000 people. Jesus. And uh, do you know who was aware of it at the time? Uh, the U.S. government. They were aware of it, and they knew it was going to happen, and they watched it happen, and they did nothing and said nothing. Cause because Saddam, we were we were backing Saddam at that point, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. was uh, supporting Saddam's uh, war against Iran. And so they turned a blind eye to it. Now, this, again, not conspiracy theory, declassified CIA documents documents show that the agency and the Reagan administration knew that the Iraqis were using chemical weapons in Iran, but just chose to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Damn. So back to Khan al-Assal. As you said, the Russians held the opposition responsible for the attacks. The U.S. held the Syrian government responsible. Investigators, as I said, from the U.N. finally arrived five months later. Now, their mandate from the U.N. was to investigate whether or not sarin was used, but they had no responsibility for determining the culpability, the responsibility. Right. Which makes we me don't know ask, who, we just know they did. Sorry. What, what is the fucking point of that, really? Yeah. 
But that yeah. was apparently the only way you know they could get uh, approval to get in there was to not inquire into responsibility. Was, yeah. So the Syrian government invite them in, come in, uh, but don't. Uh, you're not allowed to say who did it because right. uh, I know that that sounds kind of fishy to me. Now, the the UN inspectors had been there for just three days when there was another much larger scale sarin attack, the infamous Ghouta attack, which took place on the 21st of August in 2013. If I could just give that little little setup and then I'll let you talk about it. So uh, in Ghouta, which is densely populated suburbs east and south of Damascus, uh, mostly conservative Sunnis live there. Uh, In the eastern part um, of Damascus uh, and outside of town, uh, most of the people there back the opposition. Obviously, on the western side of Damascus and outside of that, they are pretty much pro-Assad. And so in early August of 2013 and before that, Assad's forces had been trying to... um, stage an attack to push the rebels out. At one point, they uh, launch a very um, coordinated offensive, come close to pushing the rebels out, but don't manage. And so at some point, something um, that they've been trying to do this for a while now, and it doesn't happen. And so something has to give because they need, obviously, to secure Damascus. And so they tried a couple times, and now suddenly it, it seems that they are about to change tactics. Yeah. So when this attack happens, the Khan al-Assal investigation is placed on the back burner by the UN because they want to obviously uh, investigate the Ghouta attacks. But before I get into Ghouta, I want to just finish up their determination on Khan, which they finally did release their report on the Khan al-Assal attacks uh, later in the year, in in December 2013. Mm-hmm. Now, their findings um, were not, as most people assume, this. Which is what I thought. Right. The yeah. um, Swedish scientist who was the chief investigator of the UN's uh, mission, Arke Selström, was asked about the possibility that the Khan al-Assal incident was uh, led by the opposition. This is what he said. When we come to Khan al-Assal, there are two witness statements on how this happened. Sorry, I should do this in my Swedish uh, accent. Yes. Pretty shady fruity here. When we come to Khan al-Assal, there are two witness statements on how this happened. Or not. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. There are two witness statements on how this happened. One is that it is rockets, and the other, that it is friendly fire from a Syrian fighter jet. The interesting thing about those two stories is that the Syrian fighter pilot is missing. It is logical. If you do friendly fire as a pilot, you would rather go missing than get caught. Or, if this is your last flight and you are going to work for the opposition, then you do something. He pointed out that the Syrian government had originally requested the UN investigation and said, so there was a background that makes you believe that maybe, just maybe, that the government was right. He was asked if he thought the rebels were behind the attack. He replied, I don't know. 
I don't know who was the perpetrator. I have no idea. But the Syrian government wanted it investigated. The government was irritated that we didn't have the mandate to point to the perpetrator at Khan al-Assal, that we couldn't speculate who was the perpetrator. So according to the UN investigator, lead UN investigator, the Syrian government wanted the mandate to include pointing the finger at who was responsible. Hmm. Which makes you think it wasn't them. Right, but should we be surprised and or disappointed if the rebels who are outgunned generally do get a hold of some of this and use it? They didn't use it very well. You only killed 26 people, 16 soldiers. But considering the atrocities Assad's regime has committed, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I, you just can't be too surprised because they're fighting, uh, you know, for life, for their, for their very lives and for their families. Well, remember, though, that the opposition aren't just Syrian civilians, uh, and it's not just right. the Free Syrian Army. It's also al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, and ISIS, um, all of which have shown an ability to be willing to wipe out thousands of innocent civilians mm-hmm. to make a point. So, yeah, I mean, we, we shouldn't be surprised. It could have as easily come from either camp. Um, and at least the lead UN investigator says he had no idea who the perpetrator right. was. But then let's get to Gouda. So, yes, you gave some background on what was happening in the fighting in Damascus, which is great. Um, the uh, area where the rockets with the sarin gas hit were controlled by the opposition. But... As you say, uh, and as the Russians said at the time, the uh, Syrian army was making pretty good progress in wiping out the uh, opposition and and, and taking back control of these areas of Damascus. Um, So it's not like they had their backs up against the wall and thought, fuck it, let's just, you know, use our last resort weapon and throw in gas. They were actually winning, it appeared. According to R.K. Selstrom, the UN investigator, the sarin used at Gouda was the same batch as was used at Khan al-Assal. So it came from the same source. The estimates of the death toll at Gouda range from 281 people to 1,729, which is a big range. So that in and of itself tells you about the quality of the data and intelligence that was coming out of these uh, this area um, when you when the difference between dead people is in terms of 1500 um, you know that's a big fucking differential right to um, have you think they would be able to do better than that but who knows we don't know the circumstances well the circumstances are that it's Fucked. That's the circumstances. I mean, the UN investigators had trouble investigating in Gouda because there was so much fighting going on. They couldn't even really go and investigate the scene uh, very easily. Now, it was the deadliest use of chemical weapons since the Iran-Iraq war back in 1988 that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But the strangest thing about this attack, again, is that it happened three days after the United Nations investigation team arrived in Syria to investigate gas, the use of chemical weapons and sarin gas in particular. This has always bugged me. 
if 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 you're Bashar al-Assad and you've got mm-hmm. UN inspectors in your country to right. look at a sarin attack that a lot of people are blaming on you, why would you launch another bigger one while they're there? You, you, that either it doesn't make sense or it's the biggest fuck you to the international right. community that you can possibly imagine. I mean, it just doesn't make sense that this would have been an official order. Right. Well, let, let me ask you, because you, you never know what you can trust on the internet or whatever, but what I was able to read about the attack was that there were two, and we'll just stick to this area right here, there were two separate attacks. One was on the eastern side, which was known to be held by the rebels. Um, roughly between 8 and 12 rockets landed in an area, carrying 50 to 60 liters or 11 to 13 gallons of sarin. But there was also an attack on the western side, which was pro-Assad, but supposedly seven rockets fell and none of them held or they could not find the um, the chemical warheads. They found explosives. They found uh, other things, but they could not find uh, the actual chemical warheads. And so and, and again, you, you never know if this has been doctored up or whatever. But if if, um, if you are trying to make Assad look bad that would be even more effective to gash your own people and to launch an attack on his to, on the people that support him, but don't include sarin gas. So it makes it look like you're going through the motions, but you're not really hurting your own people with chemical weapons. So if it is someone else, and if this is true that there were two separate attacks, one's actually deadly and the other one is just conventional means, um, that it would even make him look even more guilty to those people had they been allowed to go to this area but from what i can gather they weren't able to get close to it because the fighting continued yeah i read all that as well um yeah i mean that does sound like a a reasonable uh, tactical decision you launch two attacks one with sarin one without so you can say well yeah we did that one but this one you know this one was sarin gas that wasn't us that was those guys um but the whole thing is just, yeah, it's very mysterious. Um, I mean, I tried to figure out what the arguments are for why Bashar would launch another sarin attack while UN inspectors were actually in country. Mm-hmm. I didn't really find any cogent arguments. The, the best I could find was people saying, well, because he knew the Russians would get him off and he'd get away with it. Like really? Uh, that that yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't work for me. I mean, that's weak. It just yeah. either that or he's so confident and arrogant that he can do whatever the fuck he wants. A bit like Trump saying, "I could walk into the middle of Times Square and shoot someone, and I'd still get elected." Um, mm. You know, it's either that level of insane arrogance to just stick it to the international community, or it wasn't him, and and it was somebody else who did it to try and blame it on him. Um, which makes a lot more sense. But despite it not making sense that he did it, the US immediately blamed him for it. (laughs) Um, Of course, Bashar and Russia immediately blamed the rebels. Now, to me, the rebels, it just makes a lot more sense on the surface. Somebody who wants Bashar gone, whether it's ISIS or Turkey or Al-Qaeda or Saudi Arabia or Israel, stage the attack to make the U.S. get directly involved in Syria. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask a follow-up question to that. So Obama gives his red line speech 
one year and one day later, you have the attack. Um, again, this is this is kind of the, the fifth gas attack, but it's a lot larger than the other four that have come before it. So Obama is now supposedly got to do something militarily because he said he would. He goes to Congress, and, and I'm just winging off what I remember in the news. He goes to Congress and he asks for some kind of support or vote or what, whatever. What, 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 what? I wasn't going. Yeah. I wasn't going to get into Obama's reactions oh. until the next episode, man. Then, then we can wait. Then we can wait. So, I think you said this earlier. So, finally, in December of 2013, the UN inspection comes out with their final report. They had a, a, a preliminary one in September. In December, they come out with their final one, and um, and obviously, this is not good for the people that live in Syria. In Syria. So, they did confirm that they were. They did find impacted exploded surface-to-surface rockets capable of carrying chemical payloads, and they were able to do tests of um, soil and and people and victims and things like that, and they did prove that it was sarin. So, again, this was real. This really happened. We don't know who did it. We don't know who to blame. But this situation that has completely gotten out of hand since, uh, what, March of of 2011 is now in in the middle of 2013. Now they're using chemical agents. Uh, People are bringing in fighters from other countries and, and into this, you have more than just two sides fighting each other. I mean, this is quickly getting out of hand. And for I'm just thinking for Assad, whether he only knows part of what's going on or he's he knows everything and he's in control of everything and that he's lying, um, he really can't step down at this point. For, for It just seems like it's the point of no return for him. He would be, you know, hauled taken to the Hague and judged or tried or whatever but you just gotta imagine he has to stay in there and see this thing through no matter what happens because it has just crossed a point where he can just step down and everybody would be okay with that yeah well getting back to the Gouda attacks um, Mm -hmm. before we get too far ahead of ourselves yeah at the time of the attack, the Syrian government had access to about 600 tons of materials necessary to make sarin and mustard gas. So they definitely could have done it. Right. But Seymour Hirsch claims that the Porton Down Defense Laboratory, 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 fuck, lab, Laboratory, what's wrong with mm-hmm. my brain right now? The Porton Down yes. Defense Laboratory in the United Kingdom analyzed the sarin gas used in Gouda and found it to be a different composition to the sarin gas that the Syrian army possesses. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Russia stated that the chemicals hadn't been sold to Assad. They said that they came from stocks sold by Moscow to the former Gaddafi regime in Libya. So who does that point a finger at? America and or Turkey? Well, it sort of gets back to this rat line, right? Right. Perhaps. Perhaps. This is just theories. Away from Assad. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, there were some um, Islamist fighters arrested in Turkey in May 2013. So a couple of months before the Gouda attacks. Right. Um, who seem to have been part of a sarin-producing operation. The local press in Turkey at the time reported that the men were caught carrying two kilograms of sarin. But uh, when the case went to court, 
the prosecution actually said the men were carrying precursor chemicals used to produce sarin. Mm-hmm. But in 2015, a Turkish minister, Erin Erdem, who is with the Republican People's Party, the CHP, with the they're the opposition party uh, against Erdogan. He's probably right. in jail now, um, yes. or dead. Uh, I haven't I haven't looked up what happened to him after Erdogan's crackdown. Right. I'm going to look him up before I go any further because I want to know. Erdogan, um, uh, yeah, okay, no, 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 nothing in the news about him being dead. Young dude, he's only thirty. Anyway, mm. um, he came out and said that the materials to produce sarin came from Turkey, and that they arrived in ISIS camps in Syria. Now, he made the claims in Parliament and was talking about this recent criminal case. He said the prosecutor's office conducted detailed technical surveillance and found that an al-Qaeda militant, Hayam Kassap, had acquired sarin. According to Erdogan, there were wiretapped phone conversations which revealed the process of procuring the gas at specific addresses as Mm -hmm. well as the process of procuring the rockets that would fire the capsules containing the toxic gas. But he said once word of the case got out, 13 arrests were made, but then days later, suspects were released, charges were dropped, a new public prosecutor was brought in to replace the original one, and all of the guys that were arrested were let go, and they moved across the border into Syria. Cover up. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. That is some bullshit right there. So just to recap, Hirsch says that the gas wasn't the same as the sarin gas that the Syrian army has. And uh, a Turkish MP says that Islamic militants were caught on tape talking about smuggling sarin gas into Syria and the Turkish government arrested them and then let them go. Wow. At what point does someone do something really stupid and then Turkey and Syria start going at each other and then all bets are off? It's, I don't know. This is crazy. Now, there are a few problems, though, with the theory that sarin gas was developed by the rebels. First, Sarin is incredibly difficult to make. It took Germany, the US, and the Soviet Union years to perfect the process. Um, I read up on the production of it, uh, which probably means I'll get arrested at any moment now, but the, it, it, it requires a number of really, really complex steps, um, the ability right. to handle highly dangerous chemicals um, very closely at very high temperatures and pressures. So basically think Walter White in the van mixing up crystal meth times a thousand. So that's that's kind of what you're dealing with here. Uh, The second problem is quantity. So even if you perfect the process, there's a big difference between making a spoonful of sarin and enough for the Gouda attacks, which is estimated about half a tonne they would have needed. Mm-hmm. This assumes a scale of production that you really don't see outside of big state production programs. Very right. hard for uh, you know a, a, a non-state entity 
to produce sarin in these yeah. quantities. To put that in perspective, the one verified example of non-state production of sarin that we're aware of is the messianic Aum Shinrikyo cult in Japan. Uh-huh. Do you remember this? In the mid-90s? In the mid-90s, this religious cult out of Japan uh, released did, well, did two sarin attacks in Japan. One in 1994, and then the, the bigger and more famous in the Tokyo subway in 1995. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Now, they spent millions of dollars uh, developing sarin and had a very large purpose-built manufacturing facility, lots of highly qualified staff, um, yeah. and they ended up with only about eight litres of sarin. Yeah. But, 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 when their facilities were stormed by the police... There were stockpiles of precursor chemicals that were estimated would have been enough to kill 4 million people. Jeez. Hey, but do you know where their research facility was? No, where? Uh, Australia. They oh, um, they bought, in the early 90s, Oyam Shirinrikyo bought a sheep farm in Western Australia and right. built their sarin research facility. On an Australian sheep farm. And then they sold it a year or two later. And uh, imagine that. Imagine you now own the sheep farm where they were building sarin gas. There was also, uh, the time that they owned this place, uh, weird seismic activity in Western Australia. And uh, some people have suggested that the, the, the... cult were also trying to build nuclear weapons or exploded small nuclear weapons there, although there's been no evidence found of that since then. But there was something weird going on. By the way... Does any of the sheep have superpowers? Yeah. The founder of Ayum Shrinkrikyo, Shoko Asahara, uh, believes he is Christ. So there you go. So thank you, Jesus, for the sarin. The... the (laughs) The Christ or yeah. a cousin or no, the, remake? Okay. The, right. the Christ. The Christ. And as all good Christians know, all you have to do to be the Christ is to claim you're the Christ or have your followers claim you're the Christ. Then you are the Christ. That That's, Could that's all it takes. Someone ask him what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years? Oh, he returned, Ray. Don't you know how this oh. works, Ray? He returns okay. and then kills people with sarin gas. Um, sure. Anyway, to build enough for the Gouda attacks, the point being, you would need a pretty big facility. Not necessarily as big as the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, where the United States' chemical weapons manufacturing was based. You know the about USA. The, you know about the RMA? No. I it am was blissfully lo- ignorant. It was located in Denver, Colorado, uh, oper- in operation from 1942 to 1992. Um, they built a lot of fun stuff at uh, Denver. Uh, white phosphorus, uh, napalm, mustard gas, chlorine gas, and uh, sarin gas. That's what they were doing just uh, in uh, Denver. Rocky Mountain. John Denver yeah. was singing Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Yeah, no idea. Now, they continued to manufacture chemical weapons there until late 60s, early 70s. Um, 
Now, the Gouda production facility wouldn't have had to have been that big, but it would have had to have been pretty big. Bigger than, the, bigger than a house is the estimation right. to produce that amount of gas. And it would have been incredibly expensive. Estimates I've read say it would have cost about $50 million to make enough gas for the Gouda attack. Well, I mean, yes, I agree with you about the facilities, but from everything we've read from, say, 1950 on in the Middle East, with all these different people, money just doesn't seem to be the problem. Money is not their problem. With all the oil going around, if something's expensive, fine. But you just get the feeling a lot of different players could have afforded that if they wanted to, if they needed to. Prince Bandar could have flopped down $50 from between the change that had fallen down the back of the seat in his private jet, man. No, but he really could. He really could. And so, again, that's, that's certainly not, I don't think that's going to help anybody find out who did it. But a lot of these people seem to have very deep pockets so that should even be even more scary for everybody yeah and isis obviously has had a bit of money it's controlling oil wells in iraq and all sorts of stuff at various points anyway um the question in my mind is did the rebels develop it themselves or did they get it from some some outside source did they get it from turkey uh, did they get it from Iraq? Did they get it from, you know, uh, uh, Libya, which seems to be the most likely source. If it, if it was the rebels that did it, they probably got it from precursor chemicals that were sold by Moscow to Gaddafi only a few years mm. previous. And, um, and uh, yeah, and, and that uh, it had ended up... Um, in the rat line that the CIA set up into Syria. So if, if you're in a civil war and you're fighting your country and you're fighting against your oppressive government, whatever you want to call it, and someone who was traditionally, and not that this happened, happened this way, but if someone who's a traditionally an enemy of your country offers to sell you sarin so you can use it. I mean, I just imagine these people aren't too picky about who supplies them, where it comes from or whatever. They just need what they need to stay in this fight. And so you've, you've got to think at this point, scruples are the last thing that these people have to, to, uh, to even concern themselves with. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Libya, uh, getting back to Libya, they signed the CWC at the end of 2003. So uh, they renounced uh, the production and use of chemical weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've seen from other countries like the United States and Russia, just because you sign the document doesn't mean everything nope. disappears. We're uh, working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. It takes time. <laughs> it's uh, it a process, baby. It wasn't until January of 2014 that uh, Libya announced that they had finally completed destruction of all of their Category 1 chemical weapons. Um, so, you know, there was plenty of room during that period of time for <clears throat> chemical weapons to have, or precursors of of things like sarin, to have made their way into the rat line. So yeah. 2014, they said, we've destroyed it all. The gas attacks happened in 2013. Um, and, and, you know, Libya had been in crisis for a year before that, uh, or two, you know, since 2011, really. So... Um, who knows? 
you know, right. Gaddafi fell in October 2011, as we said a few episodes ago. So there was two years of complete chaos happening in <laughs> Libya. Where right. the where these chemicals could have made themselves got them got into the hands of ISIS or fucking whoever, and, and right. made their way into Syria. So it's absolutely, absolutely um, possible. Yeah, and and not to give not to uh, do spoiler alert, but as we're going to find out, maybe perhaps all the chemicals in Syria have not been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after all of this went down, as we'll see in the next episode, um, the uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad's government agreed to sign the CWC, agreed to get rid of their chemical weapons. But it takes time, Ray. It takes time. It does. It takes does. time. It takes yeah. time. By the way, um, the what Libya got rid of by 2014 was Category 1, chemical weapons, which I understand is just your um, uh, uh, actual weaponized gases. The precursors uh-huh. are Category 2. So there could have been still lots of precursors uh, right. running, running around then as of now. Yeah, the devil's in the details. Just because they say they got rid of all the the uh, the uh, the number ones, the category one. Yeah, you've got to you've got to read the fine print, and some of that stuff. And I'm just as a proud American. A lot of Syria's uh, chemical weapons were destroyed by August of 2014 aboard the U.S. naval vessel MV Cape Ray. So again, we did our part, but as we're going to see that uh, not rape Ray Cape Ray, but as we're going to see. Um, Perhaps not all the chemical weapons are gone. Before we finish, Gouda, I want to point out that as of today, August 2017, four years later, there's still no consensus on who was responsible for the Gouda attacks. The US and others still blame Bashar's regime. The Syrians and the Russians still blame the rebels. Uh, Theodore A. Postol, who is the Professor Emeritus of Science, Technology and National Security Policy at MIT, the Massachusetts Mm -hmm. Institute of Technology, has produced a series of lengthy reports claiming that the rockets that contain the gas couldn't have been launched from the Syrian-controlled zones of Damascus. Based on his analysis of their trajectories and their flight capabilities, they could have only come from the rebel-controlled zones. But that's debated by other experts. So, I mean, it's really hard to unpick all of this stuff at that stage. There is no more definitive. Definitive is gone in everything in history. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, and, and like our approach to all of our history shows, whether we're doing Caesar or Alexander or the Cold War, it's not about definitive, or if I'm doing early Christianity, it's about probabilities. Right. Our job, there are no definitives in history, you're right. Um, there are just probabilities. Our job is to try and work out what the most probable mm-hmm. course of events was based on our understanding of human nature and the evidence that we have um and, and 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 it's difficult man it's open for debate but uh i before we finish on good i want to point out one more thing a, a few months ago in april of this year 2017 there was another 
sarin gas attack in Syria at mm-hmm. Khan Shaykhun. Um, in the Idlib government of Syria, it took place on the 4th of April, 2017. Now, at the time of the attack, the town was under the control of Tahrir al-Sham, previously known as the al-Nusra Front. So this mm. is a Islamic jihadist organization. Uh, as people may be aware, and we'll cover this in more detail in later episodes, the town was reported to have been struck by an airstrike by government forces. The Syrian government doesn't deny that their air force was striking the town, but they claim they didn't release sarin gas. Uh, reports are that 74 people died from the gas, uh, injured 557. Um, the United States, the United Kingdom, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, France and Israel and Human Rights Watch all blamed Bashar's government. On mm-hmm. for using uh, uh, sarin gas again, but the Syrian response, which was backed by the Russians, was the Syrians didn't launch a sarin attack. They bombed a warehouse which belonged oh. to the rebels, which may have contained a rebel chemical arms stockpile that may have contained sarin gas. And, of course, as a result of the uh, Khan Shaykhun attack on the 7th of April, three days later, Donald Trump launched 59 cruise missiles at Shayrat Air Base. But he warned the Russians who warned the Syrians first, so everyone cleared the place out. Um, But anyway... the only casualties were some cement. Yeah, that's right. We'll we'll talk more about that later. We'll talk about Obama's red line and what happened to the red line after the Gouda attack uh, as we rapidly move. You know, I want to wrap this series up in the next couple of Mm -hmm. episodes, if people are wondering. This isn't going to go on forever. uh, You know, I mostly wanted to cover the background and get us up to date fairly quickly. So I think in the next few episodes, we'll be able to leap from 2013 through to 2017, and then you'll be all Mm -hmm. up to date with Understanding to the best of our abilities what the hell is going on in uh, Syria. Then we'll come back 10 years later and cover the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah, we will. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's it. My outro music just crashed, so I guess we're out. (laughs) 